0: Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a Chair disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Good morning. What a super Sunday to be with you. I have to hold it all the way. I hope your team wins. If you have a dog in the fight, if your dog has never and will never make the fight, hope you enjoy those commercials. That'll be a good time. Get some good food. It is a fun, fun day to be with you. We're going to jump back into our study, walking through the book of Acts together. So Acts 18 is where we are. If you have your Bible, if you're with us last week, we took a little break, which we don't do all that often, but we did that for our annual meeting. And so it was a great opportunity to talk about our purpose and our mission and our vision and and how excited we are to be launching some things that should help us to do that, how excited we are to be a debt-free church. Those are things we love to talk about. If you missed that, you can go back and watch that online. And if you have questions, please let us know, because we love talking about that. But, but our vision, as we ended with, is this thing where we talk about wanting to join God where he's at work. That's a big, big deal for us. And we're going to get to see a lot of that in this passage. And, and there's just a reality to that. If you grabbed an outline on your way in, the title of this sermon is In Process, which is something that very much we are as Christ followers. And so it's helpful if we recognize that. Kind of life works through process. We probably realize that, right? You, you hear the story about the, the wise old tree was in the middle of the forest and the loggers showed up and they're going to start clear cutting the mature trees. And, and the forest animals went to this sage wise old tree and said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We're going to lose our habitat. And, and the wise old tree said, I think what we should do is have the bears attack the loggers. Send the bears to scare the loggers away. And so all the bears went to go attack the loggers, but the loggers had guns and were not scared of the bears. And so they chased the bears away. What are the animals going to do? You know, so, so the loggers continued and they're making progress cutting through the forest. And, and so the animals all came back to the sage, wise old tree, the wisest tree in the forest and said, what are we going to do? The bears didn't work. And so the wise tree said, well, have the birds. Have the birds of the sky dive-bomb the loggers and see if they can scare them off their task and chase them away. And so the birds went to dive-bomb the loggers, but the loggers had guns and, and they just weren't that scared of the birds. And and that strategy, that tactic didn't work. And, and the loggers continued to make progress into the forest and now the animals are really worried. And they went to the sage, wise old tree and said, what on earth can we do now? And And the wise tree said, maybe let's have... The scurrying animals of the forest, the squirrels and the raccoons and the chipmunks come and, and surround the feet of the loggers and see if we can throw them off task. And and so all the, the cute furry animals went and, and all the loggers took out their phones and took pictures because it was so cute. But, <laughs> but it didn't stop the loggers from their task, right? And finally they arrived at the oldest, the wisest, the sagest of trees and they cut it down. And there she lay on the forest floor. And that night, all the animals came to pay their respects. And and out of desperation, they asked, do you have any other ideas for how to stop the loggers? And the wise old tree said, I'm stumped. I'll be here all week. It's a process, right? And we're in progress in this as we go. And that's something that should help us, honestly. We should understand, if we're Christ followers, then we begin this process called sanctification. You've heard this term, right? The moment we profess faith in Christ, we are saved. That moment, we're eternally secure. But from that moment, we launch into this journey where we're trying to become more and more and more like Christ. And here's the reality as we're on that path, as we develop the mind of Christ, we're gonna realize we're not there yet, right? That's something incredible about that process. It's always in motion. And so we're going to see some real tangible illustrations of that in our passage today. And it's in the midst of this study, honestly, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, where there's a bunch of transitions. You see a bunch of growth in this study. We started right at the very beginning. And there's a transition from working from the old covenant, where God was dealing with the nation of Israel, to now we're following this new covenant. Where God is at work in his church, and not that the church replaces Israel at all, but that we are now grafted into that tree of faith. And that made way for lots more transitions. There was a transition from legalism to grace. There was this transition from following rituals that pointed to Jesus to actually following Jesus himself. And so this is a book very much about being in process. and that happens corporately to the church, but of course it also happens to us individually. And we need to grasp that. For years, I've seen that, and you've seen bumper stickers on this. And if you go to Cracker Barrel, they have wall art, and now there's memes, and it's all over the social media and the internet. It's this thought right here. Be patient. God isn't finished with us yet. Now, that's both supremely theological, but it's also very, very practical. And I think if we'd keep that thought in mind, we'd be a lot more patient, a lot more forgiving towards others, because we're all in process. We all come from a variety of backgrounds. We all have differing spiritual gifts, different experiences with the Lord. We're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. I would guarantee that. I don't see hearts the way God does, but today, sitting in this room or watching the service online, there are people, I, I would almost guarantee, who are here who have not yet made a profession of faith in Jesus. But they come to church regularly, and so they're hearing in the gospel They're learning about who Jesus is. They've been exposed to God's word through the Bible, but they have not yet received the promise of eternal life. And so, what's our task as the Christ followers around them? Can we have some patience? Can we remember we were once in their shoes? We would have appreciated people showing us patience and grace. We would have appreciated somebody walking alongside of us and giving us direction and instruction. That's the way it works without coming and just beating us over the head and going, you're a heathen, and you're going straight to H-E double hockey sticks. There's not a lot of grace in that. Can we be gracious Christ followers? I think there's folks like that sitting watching today. But for sure, those are the folks that we're running to at our workplace, at the grocery store, at school. Can we be gracious and patient with these people who are work in process? I would imagine sitting here today, watching online, there's some spiritual infants, right? There's some babes in Christ. They don't know much about being the church yet. They don't know how to study the Bible. They don't know what a devotional is. They hear people talking about it. They are begging no one would ever ask them to pray out loud, right? What do we do with people like that? As we are more mature in Christ, can we walk along these youngsters with some tolerance? That's the way we treat actual babies in the world, right? Right? If you come up to a little baby, some of you got tiny little babies, they're so cute. You don't expect a one-year-old to act like a 10-year-old. That'd be ridiculous. You don't expect a 10-year-old to act like a 25-year-old because they're in process. We're all a work in process. And so we're supposed to walk along them and, and model behavior, help them grow and mature. That's what we're gonna see in our passage today. So again, Acts chapter 18, if you have your Bible, we're gonna look at verses 18 to 28. And we're going to see actually quite a few of God's workers in process. Now, I want to say this before we dive in. This is kind of a frustrating passage to study. We're going to read it kind of all in one chunk. And there are things I wish the Holy Spirit had breathed into Dr. Luke so we'd have more details. There's quite a few questions that are raised here we just don't get the answers to. The very first verse, verse 18, says Paul makes a vow. He's keeping a vow. We don't get any information about the vow right? Back then it was most likely a Nazarite vow. People would make that to demonstrate that they had voluntarily dedicated themselves to the Lord. Context helps us a little bit because Paul mentions cutting his hair and there were guidelines and restrictions associated with that Nazarite vow, but that's all we get. We don't get any backstory, right? It's really unique in this passage. There's no information whatsoever, but Paul ends his second missionary journey here and begins his third missionary journey. And unless there's one of those little titles in your Bible that says Paul's third missionary journey, you wouldn't know, right? It's not in there. And and that's kind of unique to me. Paul picks up some new ministry partners, Priscilla and Aquila. That's great. That's fantastic. What happened to Silas and Timothy? (laughs) I've got questions. (laughs) And we can do some homework. I mean, very, very likely Silas and Timothy just continued to minister in the churches in Macedonia. But throw me a bone here, Dr. Luke. We don't get the details that I'd love to see. And maybe it's because all those events are very much a work in process. It's a book of transitions. But there's a common thread in it that ties it all together. If we're going to join God to accomplish the work that he set before us, just like he does with these heroes of the Bible, we have to recognize we are all still very much a work in process. God is not finished with us yet. So we should be patient with one another. As we seek to do that here as a church, as we're trying to accomplish our vision statement. And there's two clear directives for the workers here in Acts chapter 18, which are still very applicable today. You hear us talk about these quite a bit. And the first is that we're supposed to go out preaching the gospel to lost people. If you remember when we had our four chairs up here last week and we talked about moving from lost to believer, believer to worker, worker to disciple maker. We start in that lost chair because those people need to hear Jesus. So that's a clear instruction here. But the other, I think, is great as well. We're supposed to join God in encouraging his church. We're supposed to walk alongside other believers and strengthen them. So I want to study a little differently than we normally do. You know, I normally like to read a verse and say, hey, here's what this means, I think. And and here we're just going to read the entire passage in context. We'll go back and try and pick up some takeaways. But, But this is God's word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from Dr. Luke's pen, starting in verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers. He set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Centuria, he'd cut his hair if he was under a vow. We don't know why. And they came to Ephesus. And Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That's pretty common. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Why did Paul stay such a short time in Ephesus? I've got questions. We'll move on. Verse 22. When he'd landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed. He went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. What was he doing? Strengthening all the disciples. Now, I love this. And we've mentioned this several times as we've studied through Acts. You see Paul's heart here, right? He's got this pastoral heart. He's been out on this journey of obedience, planting churches, leading people to the Lord, and he cares about those people. So he's going back to strengthen and encourage them. I love that. And he's doing it literally just through the ministry of his presence. He's going to be with them. Verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, he was a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus And Apollos was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. Remember, there were only Old Testament scriptures at the time. New Testament hadn't been written. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Well, when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when Apollos wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Well, when Apollos arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. How did he do that? He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scripture that the Christ was Jesus. All right, so if you grabbed an outline on your way in, the first way we see Paul and his team joining God at work is through preaching the gospel. They're declaring the plan of salvation to the lost. That was a huge passion for Paul. Everywhere you see him go on his missionary journeys, he would take advantage of this opportunity to preach the gospel. And and it's a weird thing because he was the ambassador to the Gentiles, right? The non-Jewish people. But where would he go as soon as he hit town? He'd go to the synagogue to preach to the Jews. He had this huge heart for the Jews as well. He knows he's called to the Gentiles. Why does he go speak to the Jews? Because he's a Jew. These are his people. He's got a huge heart for them as well. He tells on himself in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, one of the most incredible verses. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed. He says, I I wish that I could be cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you know what a powerful statement that is? Who would you say that about? I'd be willing to give up my salvation for... Your family, maybe? Are there a lot of other people? Paul said this for every Jew. I'd be willing to give up my salvation if they would be saved. That's an incredible statement. So Paul has a heart for the Gentiles, for sure. But he's got a heart for these Jewish people. And so he's out sharing the gospel with everybody. Paul was OCD long before we knew what that was. He he was under compulsion. He was just compulsive about sharing the gospel. He tells on himself, the church in Corinth, he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach the gospel, big deal, right? He says, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. I've got to do it. He says, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And that's when he launches into that big passage we've talked about so many times where he says, to win the weak, I became weak. I became all things to all people. Why? So that God might use me to win some that's what I'm out there doing. I'm making these pathways to sharing the gospel. And he ends that passage in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's what's motivating him. He says that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul's out there on this journey and he's wanting to become more and more like Jesus. And he's compulsive about finding lost people and telling them who Jesus is. It's one of the main takeaways of Paul joining God at work. And then we see that same compulsion in Apollos. And he just had to share it even before he totally understood what the message was. He was out there preaching and and he was preaching not the Paul Harvey. He was preaching the beginning of the story, but not the rest of the story, right? Because he didn't know the rest of the story. He had to have Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside in verses 25 and 26 and, and make sure he's preaching a complete gospel. But once he got coached up, once he was doing it right, what did he do? In verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos is running into people, and if he's running into any Jewish guy, who's like, I'm pretty sure I could obey my way to Jesus. He's like, "Uh -uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, not so fast, my friend. That's not the way it works. He's refuting that teaching. Have we found ourselves in that spot before? Has God ever put somebody in our path where we could refute some false teaching? I've heard people say this. Well, all roads lead to heaven, right? Doesn't matter if I follow Jesus or I follow Buddha or I follow Allah or I follow the flying spaghetti monster. It just doesn't matter because we're all going to wind up in heaven. What if we got that opportunity? Would we be able to point people to Jesus? How many times have we run into someone who sincerely believes something that's contradictory to what God's word teaches. And so they are sincerely wrong. Are we going to love them enough to tell them that? This is a big, big call, right? They're a work in process. We're a work in process. We're just trying to join God to point every person to Jesus because they all matter to him. Huge passion for Paul. Huge passion for Apollo's. So they're sharing the gospel. They're also really interested in strengthening and encouraging God's church. We see that in Paul for sure. As he launches into his third missionary journey at the end of verse 23, what does he say? He was out there strengthening all the disciples. He was coming alongside them. Not to be outdone, what was Apollos doing? He wasn't just sharing the gospel when he arrived in Achaia. He also did this, Acts 18, 27b. He greatly helped those. He encouraged those who through grace had believed. He didn't even know the whole story, right? Priscilla and Aquila helped him to, to get a deeper understanding of the things of God. Once he had that, he went out and he helped other believers understood what he'd been taught. Do we recognize that's a really healthy pattern? That's like the hole jumping we were talking about last week. If we've been through something, if God allowed us to go through something, we're supposed to use that thing then to help others get through that. If we've received help from God, we can help others. It's all about this mission towards maturity. Maturity is the goal. Little babies are cute. I'm not denying they're cute. I mean, you get that. Little babies are so cute, sometimes we make moms feel bad because like they come up carrying the baby and we totally ignore them. We're like, oh. <laughs> I was going to stop and go, hey, praying for you too. But man, that's a cute baby, Right? We get that. What would we do if a 35-year-old guy wandered in the, in the gathering grounds wearing a diaper and sucking a binky? We'd be like, that's a little. <laughs> Call security, right? That, that, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Well, how do little babies grow? It's a process. We protect them. We feed them. We care for them. We teach them. And eventually, they're mature enough. We pray they go out and they get married. And they have babies of their own. It's the circle of life. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? Brand new babies need the same kind of help that spiritual children do. We have to walk alongside them and encourage them. Does God want to use us in that process? I believe he does. So I hope that he continues to do that here at this church. Well, how is he going to do it? If he's delivered us from an addiction, if he's strengthened us in a temptation, what are the chances we're supposed to join him in that area? And help people who are having problems like that. I think it's pretty high. Now I get what happens there. We go to somebody and ask them to engage like that. And they throw up their hands. Oh, Pastor James, I'm not ready. I'm still in process myself. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get t-shirts made. They'll have our cute little slogan. Be patient with me. God's not, not finished with me yet, right? We're all in that process. Every person that's going out to be a disciple maker is in that process. That's the beauty of this passage. Paul's not there yet. 25 years after becoming a believer on the Damascus Road, he's in. He's engaged. He, he, he's out there after decades following hard after the Lord. And he shared this truth about experiencing the power of God. And remember, this is a guy who had miraculously survived a bunch of attempts on his life. He'd been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been imprisoned, he'd been snake bit. And he said, he's still still wanted to have fellowship in the suffering with the Lord. Shared this with the church at Philippi. He says, not that I've already obtained this. Not that I'm already perfect. He's wearing the shirt. God's not finished with me yet. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Church, are we pressing on? Are we running the race as we work through the trials that God allows for us. I hope as we do, we realize we're not supposed to go through this journey alone. Talked about that last week. We're not created for that. And so in this passage, I think it's great. We kind of lose focus of Paul for a little bit, and we focus on some other people. Paul's not the only guy out there doing ministry. It's never supposed to be the task of one person. We're supposed to join in this together. And so here in Acts 18, Dr. Luke kind of kicks Paul to the side. He skims over some of the details of his life to focus on Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Paul will return to be the main focus in chapter 19 next week. but, But I think it's pretty obvious here. He's not the only one carrying God's water. We meet Priscilla and Aquila. We'd met them before the beginning of Acts chapter 18. I believe God used Paul to lead them to Christ. And then when it's time for Paul to leave Corinth, what happens? They come along and they land in Ephesus and Paul goes, man, I gotta go to Jerusalem. I gotta go to Antioch. I think it's amazing. Priscilla and Aquila stay there. What are they gonna do? Share the gospel with the lost and encourage believers. The church is meeting in their house, right? And we see this play out because in verse 27, when Apollos is wanting to head out and join God, do you see what it said? It said the brethren encouraged him. Where'd the brethren come from? <laughs> from the church in Ephesus that Priscilla and Aquila were leading. Apollos was used powerfully by God. If you've read God's word, this is not a new name to you. We studied Apollos when we walked through 1 Corinthians together several years ago, but, but he was a guy who was preaching and teaching in Corinth and he was good, right? He developed a following. He's like the guy who was like, I'll oh, listen to his podcast today. But, but the people in Corinth, they played favorites for sure. This is what they said. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, and remember, that's the apostle Peter, or I follow Christ. And Paul comes in, and and he strongly confronts this idea that they would play favorites, but he doesn't throw any of the other teachers under the bus. He doesn't say, you ought to follow me, because I'm better than Cephas. No, he doesn't say that at all. He points to God's glory. This is how he answered, 1 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? I love it when he goes third person. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says, we're in this together. (laughs) We are fellow workers, but growth is the goal and God gets the glory. So as we seek to join God on mission, can we as a church kind of lock arms and realize we're all in this together? We have different roles. We have different responsibilities. We have different gifts, but we're out there working and God isn't finished with us yet. And just look at the characters in this text. Paul for sure was unprocessed as he served. We'll see. He makes a later confession that I really think is point to that. But, but the idea is he was running the race, right? He was obedient. He kept moving forward to join God, just like our vision statement says. He wants to join God where he's working. Well, what happens as he goes? He hits trial after obstacle after trial after obstacle, and yet he continues to press on. Do you remember as he was going across Asia, and he's like, well, I want to go here, and God says, no, you ain't going there, and so he kept moving forward. He didn't go backward. Oh, I want to go down here. No, you keep going. He went until he hit the sea, and he's like, okay, I guess I'm going to get a boat. He just kept moving forward. Is that what we want to do? Fight the good fight. I learned something new this week. I'd never seen it before. I don't know why. I hadn't paid attention to the Australian coat of arms. Do you guys know? (laughs) Australian coat of arms is amazing. It's got two prominent animals on there. The emu, who is famous for his commercials here in the United States. And the kangaroo. Now, these animals were chosen specifically by the citizens of Australia. Do you know why? I didn't know this until this week. Neither one of those animals can move backwards. The way the emu's, what do you call it, paw, I don't know, what, what if birds have? Feet. <laughs> Thank you. I lost that word. The, the way the foot is designed by God on the emu, it only has three claws. It doesn't have a fourth claw back here. So if it tries to go backward, it falls down. Kangaroo can't move backward, and that one's pretty obvious. It's the tail, big tail in the way. You see those viral videos of people fighting kangaroos? i figured out how to win. Just stand behind him. <laughs> stay, stay out of the way of the tail. You're going to win every time. They, they can only move forward. And that's why the people of Australia picked that. They want to only move forward. Paul was a kangaroo. Paul was an emu, right? But he was a work in progress. Now, the tricky part about viewing Paul's life that way is, as he talks about himself, it seems like he's moving backwards. It seems like he actually doesn't think that he's progressing. Paul says this about himself as he's joining God on mission in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle, why? Because I persecuted the church of God, right? Paul knows he meets the criteria to be an apostle. He had to be an eyewitness of Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was. But he goes, okay, there's these 12 original apostles and then there's me, I'm the least of these guys, why? Because I killed Christians. He either killed them or he supervised the killing of them. But he knows who he is So because I'm the least of these guys. But he's moving forward. He's obedient to join God on all these ministry journeys, right? He's out sharing the gospel. He's out encouraging the churches. And what does he say in the church that met there at Priscilla and Aquila's house in Ephesus? To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... (laughs) This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Is he an anti-kangaroo now? I was the least of the apostles. That's 13, guys. Now I'm the least of everybody who believes in Jesus. (laughs) Is he moving backwards? He continues to press forward. He continues to run the race. And towards the end of his life, when he's clearly in chair four, He's one of our chair four guys. He's making disciples who's making disciples. He's pouring into Timothy. He's pouring into Titus. He's pouring into these pastors of these churches. He says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Some of your translations say I'm the chief of sinners. They gave a trophy for sin and I'm the best, right? And the worst sinner there is. Paul, what's going on? Are you really moving backwards? You're the apostle Paul. God used you to write half the New Testament. No, here's the reality. Paul's a kangaroo, okay? He's an emu who only moves forward. But but the reality is for every Christ follower today, once we profess faith in Jesus, once we try to adopt his mind, his attitude, the more we're going to recognize how sinful we are. The more we're going to realize we're not him. And that truly places us in a spot of tension. That's where we really have to grasp, God's not finished with me yet. I love the story of the young girl and she began a relationship with Jesus. She professed faith. She began to attend a local church, and she wanted to engage. She wanted to get plugged into the church. She wanted to become a member, and so she met with the senior pastor of the church, and he was asking her some questions. And And he said, do you understand that before you accepted Christ, you were a sinner? He said, oh, yeah, I totally understand. He's like, well, now that you've professed faith in Christ, do you still feel like you're a sinner? He said, oh, yeah, even more so, honestly. He's <laughs> he said, well, how does that work? If you're a new creation in Christ, how do you feel like you still struggle with sin? And this young girl said, I don't know that I can completely explain it, but here, here's the best way I can get it. Before, I was a sinner and I was running after sin, And now I'm a sinner and I'm running from sin. And she became a member of that church because that's a darn good (laughs) answer right there. That's where we are. Church, when we're running towards sin, we need to run away from sin. We need to press on. We need to move forward. That's part of the process of sanctification. Yes, we're still sinners, but God isn't finished with us yet. Amen? Paul was in process. In our text, Priscilla and Aquila, they're joining God at work. They're in process. Their journey goes fast. They started at the beginning of this chapter. They're not even Christ followers yet. By the end of this chapter, they're leading a church, right? They step out from underneath his wing. They're making followers of Jesus on their own, and that's when they encounter Apollos. God was not finished with Apollos yet. Now, it's cool to see because he was gifted, right? He was a powerful public speaker, and he knew the Old Testament Scriptures, but he still had room to grow because he didn't know the whole story. And so he's preaching one day and he's crushing it. He's fire. And Priscilla and Aquila are listening and they kind of stand aside and they're like, I don't think he knows the whole story. Like, he's good. (laughs) He wasn't preaching heretically. They didn't pull him off the stage because he was preaching false. They they just said, this guy needs to know more. So they pull him aside privately. And they said, dude, come have dinner with us. Come have dinner at our house and we'll talk theology. And, and, And what are they doing? They're growing. Meeting with people like that helps us grow as leaders, but it also helped Apollos grow in his knowledge and in his service. They're all in the process of being used by God. They're all in the process of becoming more like Jesus. There's another detail in here that we don't get. The the order of their names are changed. Did you catch that? When we were first introduced to Aquila and Priscilla at the beginning of Acts chapter 18, it was Aquila, then Priscilla. Here it's the other way around. Priscilla and Aquila. Why is that? I don't know. Was she more articulate? Was she more knowledgeable in the Lord? Did she profess faith in Jesus first? We don't know those things. But I love that they did it together. God used this couple to privately pull Apollos aside and help him. They were both disciple makers. I guarantee you, if you interviewed Apollos later in his life and said, hey, who was really important? Who poured into you? He'd mention both Priscilla and Aquila. We've all got work to do in this, right? Right? And Apollos pressed on. And I love the intentionality of verse 27. As he's moving forward at the end of that verse, you remember he says, When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. These are people who are already making up the church. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but doesn't that look exactly like what Priscilla and Aquila had just done for him? They were hole jumpers, they were gracious. He didn't know the whole story, and they didn't make fun of him. They didn't belittle him. They pulled him aside and let him know the rest of the story in love, in truth. And so what did Apollos do? When he went out to go do ministry, he did that same thing. He found these folks who were in the church by grace that already believed, and he pulled them aside and said, let me encourage you. Let me show you some grace. What a beautiful picture. Paul's a work in process as he's moving forward. And he discipled Priscilla and Aquila, who were very much a work in progress. They were just on the fast track. But while they're running the race, what do they do? They disciple this guy, Apollos. What does he do? He immediately goes out on mission and encourages other disciples with the same grace he received and lather, rinse, repeat. This is what we're supposed to be doing. When we talk about our purpose, mission, and vision, this is where we get it making disciples who make disciples. And we don't have to have it all together to be used by God in this task because God isn't finished with us yet. But we're still supposed to join in the work. God confirms this truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure where? In jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What's the treasure we're carrying? It's salvation. It's eternal, abundant life. It's that command to go out and make disciples who make disciples, to be ambassadors for Christ. We get the privilege of sharing the greatest good news ever told, that God made the way for anyone, anywhere who professes faith in him to be saved. We get to go share that message with the lost and hurting. We get to go make disciples who make disciples. And that's gonna mean coming along and encouraging the church, the believers in Christ. We do all that. While we are jars of clay, we're not special. We're not some beautiful gold chest you adorned with jewels or whatever. We're we're packing crates. Back in the day, royalty drank from chalices, normally gold or silver adorned with precious gems. All the common people drank from jars of clay. That's Paul's point. (laughs) As ambassadors, as disciple makers, we're carrying the greatest news ever told in these old flesh cartons. We're just the packing crates. And that amplifies the reality. The power doesn't come from my strength. The power doesn't come from our intellect or our wisdom or our knowledge or our experience. The power comes from God. Are we proclaiming Jesus to the lost and the broken? Are we encouraging them as a body of believers? And are we doing all that like the kangaroo, like the emu? Even though God is nowhere near finished with me and with you, are we still pursuing maturity? Are we still running this race out of love for the Lord? Are we still pressing on for Jesus? What do we do with folks who we don't know where they are in their journey? It's hard sometimes. I started with a joke about a tree. I think I should finish with a story about a tree hear about the guy who bought a house, had one tree, one tree in the backyard. And it was about this time of year, okay, it was winter when he bought the tree, so the tree was nothing special, just sitting out there in his backyard. He didn't even know what kind of tree it was. And the spring came, and one day he looked out his back window, and and tiny little leaves and and pink buds had sprouted all over the tree. He goes, well, that's fantastic, a flower tree. I'll enjoy that beauty all summer long. Before he had time even to enjoy the flowers, what happens here in the spring? The winds came. Blew all those petals all across his yard. He's like, this is a mess. This is horrible. That tree isn't any good after all. And summer came, and he's out mowing his grass, and, and he noticed there's some green fruit growing on the tree, about the size of golf balls. So he, he grabbed one as he was walking by, and he took a bite. And he spit it out. That was horrible. Bitter, gross. This tree's worthless. Flowers on it are so fragile, the wind blows them away. The fruit's horrible. When, when winter comes, I'm cutting it down. The tree, of course, paid no attention to the man. Continued to draw water from the ground, warmth from the sun. In late fall, produced some really nice crisp red apples. Boy, at that time, the man loved the tree. (laughs) Church, do we get it? Some of us look out and we see Christ followers with their, their early blossoms of happiness, and we think, well, they should just stay that way forever. And then the wind comes. Or or we see somebody who's got bitterness in their lives and we go, well, that person, they're never going to bear that that better fruit of joy. Will we be patient with them? Will we recognize that sometimes the very best fruit ripens kind of late in the season? I'm not calling myself the best fruit, but I'll tell you this. I was 26 before I began a relationship with the Lord. When I was 22, 23, 24, 25, a whole lot of people wrote me off. Now I get the privilege of being your pastor. Will we show grace? Will we show patience with people who are still very much a work in progress? Not stopping sharing the gospel, not stopping encouraging believers, joining God in that work. Can we be kangaroos? God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. (sighs) Daddy, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge. And Lord, help us to see where it lands for each one of us as we go out to apply this for your glory. We're the jars of clay. We're in process. We need to be patient because you're not done with us yet. But God, can we follow this task? Can we share the gospel? Can we encourage the church? Paul did, Priscilla and Aquila did, Apollos did. Will we do that? Got to remember it's for your glory. You are so worthy. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel, You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care and God bless.